Hi there! This is the PowerPoint Tribe, where our vibe is faith and our food is the Word. Prepare to be strengthened and encouraged through the teachings of God's Word and the ministry of the Spirit. Alright, um, today, you see, it's amazing. Again, help me celebrate the Beckoners, please. It's, it's amazing how the Holy Spirit navigates us in this church, all right? So that song has provided the perfect landing for the teaching today because we've been saying a lot about honor today, a lot about honor, all right? So, and sacred is, is a good way to, to segue into honor, amen? All right, um, and it's still on leadership, still on leadership and uh, there's so much God wants to share with us today. I trust God for grace, speed, accuracy, utterance. And I hope that your heart can be open to receive it. How God comes is by sending his word. That's how he comes. That's how he comes. You're asking God to come. He sent you his word. God sent his word and the word healed them and delivered them from their destruction. The word of God is so powerful. We don't take it for granted. And when you're receiving God's word... Receive it secretly. Don't be distracted. So how you pay attention to what is secret coming to you is how you should pay attention to God's word in a way that you don't pay attention to other things pretty much because it's the most secret thing God can give you, his word. That used to be the regulator of the economy of Israel. The Bible says there was a time in Israel the word of God was scarce and that was inflation. That was scarcity. That was a recession. That was something that was not good because God's word was scarce. All right, and when God's word starts coming, that was prosperity for a people. That was goodness, that was fruitfulness, that was prosperity, that was increase, that was expansion because God's word is coming. And so we must receive God's word in its sacredness, in its wholeness, with reverence in our hearts. All right, we've been talking about leadership for a number of weeks now, a number of weeks, and I believe it's been such a transformational stream to our wow series. I believe today we'll be going a little deeper in understanding what makes leaders thick, what makes them so influential and powerful, all right? In 1 Samuel chapter, I believe, 22, we see David, all right, in Adulam. 400 people came to him. 400 people came to David at Adulam, all right, and he captained them, praise God. Then something had happened by 27, 1 Samuel. 1 Samuel 27 talks about how that they had become 600. 600 from 400. Something had changed. They were 400 by 22, by 27. They were 600. They had increased by 50%. How? David had not yet been king. He didn't have money. He didn't have possessions. He didn't have positions to give them. He didn't have anything to give them to lure them to follow him. What did he use to attract them? 400 men in distress, in debt, in discontentment, gathered to him. He captained them. Then after a season, 200 people joined them again. What was that pull factor in David? Amen. That's what we're going to be talking about today. What was that pull factor? What made someone able to lead without money? Are there people you will follow today who don't have anything to offer you, but you will follow them? That which you will follow is what we're talking about today. And that is what keeps influence. When people will follow you without a benefit of possession, 
then they are really following you. Because the moment every other thing and paraphernalia of affluence and money and possessions and positions is stripped away, if people live with you or with those things, that means they were never really with you. Their loyalty was not really to you. It was the things that you represented. And so when they go to places, they will drop your name because your name means something in some areas, in some levels. At some places, when they mention your name, it speaks well of them. It reads on them. It rubs on them positively because of what you represent. So it's not really you they are following. It's the effect of you. Amen. But for David, we see a man who continued to garner influence and loyalty without a position. He was not yet king. He didn't have things to give them. As a matter of fact, some chapters before or after, he went to Moan looking for food from Nabal. This guy was a fugitive in Israel. In fact, his own parents had become fugitives as well. And so his parents came down to Adulam to him. Did you read that? So he had to go and look for a place for them to squat in Moab. And say, please, king of Moab, help keep my parents safe for now. Because I'm a fugitive in my land and they are also under threats. Because if, if someone is looking for you, what's the next way to get you? I'm, so, I'm sure you've seen enough movies to figure that out. You understand? Because they, they look for your children, your parents, anybody you love that can just draw you out of hiding. And so David understood that protocol. So he knew that if he had anyone he loved still in Israel, it's just a matter of time before they will, they will smoke him out. And so he had to carry all of them, put them in Moab. Because his life was under danger and was under threat. This was a man that was a fugitive, a scavenger in the wilderness. So how he was hustling was by guarding the flocks of people that had money. People that had stuff in the wilderness, he would just be doing omonile and gatekeeper for them and guarding them because he had skill with wild beasts. So the skill he had with wild beasts, he was using it to guard other flocks that didn't have as much expertise in wild affairs. Alright, so he would keep any lion, no, no worry, we day here, no worry. And that was how he was guarding the, the flock of Nabal. So he had invested a lot in that relationship and at some point he thought, let me get a bit of, you know, refreshing from you. And he sent his guys and of course we know what Nabal did. Acted very foolishly. My point is, this was the life of David. This was his life. Scavenger. Fugitive. Yet, his influence continued to increase. How? Bible says when there is money, many there be that will come and eat with you. That is, once you have resources, it is difficult to perceive correctly loyalty. It's difficult. When you have resources, possessions, you are no longer sure. Are they coming for me or for the things I have? You are no longer sure. And sometimes that is why God will take you through some seasons so that you can effectively perceive correctly those that are coming to you at that phase. And so David, at that point, was increasing in strength and influence. Many were giving him their loyalty, and he didn't have anything to offer them back, except for this one thing that he had. There was something that kept pulling them. He was a man of honor. This is the most attractive quality in a leader. The honor of a man. You see, Saul was not a man of honor. Saul did not honor God. Saul did not honor himself. Saul did not honor other people. So it doesn't matter how much positions he had. In fact, how he kept people under his influence was by bribing them. 
That was why, remember the last week we talked about how that he was blackmailing and emotionally gaslighting his servants. Saying, how did you, you, you guys knew that David and Jonathan were bodies and you didn't tell me? Nobody pities me enough to tell me. You guys did not even have mercy on me. He, he was gaslighting them. You are not an honorable man. That is why. So he now asked them, he said, how much did he give you? How many fields did he promise you? Which positions did he tell you? He doesn't have anything to give them. He didn't give them anything. But they were loyal to him. How? You had all the money. You sat on the throne. You had bounties to share. Yet, you will give a command. And someone will, in your very presence, defy you. Say, so we can't do what you just said. This is authoritative order from the grand commander of the armed forces of Israel. Giving a command to his servant, do this, fall upon him. <laughs> and the servant says, no, sir. I won't do that. I won't as much as lift a finger against the Lord's anointed. This is a servant. Yet we find a David in 2 Samuel 23. He just sighed and said, ah, how I wish I got waters from the wells of Bethlehem. And some people took that as an executive order. And they risked their lives. Three of them ran into the garrison of the Philistines. And they killed, maimed, risked their lives. I remember once Apostle Aroma was giving a, 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 a good expository on what must have happened. Three of them. That means one of them carried the water. And maybe two of them were fighting in front and another at the back. And one of them was with the water. Imagine the level of delicateness and intricacy in delivering that water. With the integrity of Bethlehem inside. Because this water cannot be diluted. It is the wells of Bethlehem. The water from that well. That's the one he wants. And David never instructed them. He just sighed. It was a sigh. Imagine you're just talking. And you just, ah. I wish I could just get pizza right now. Or shawarma or something. You understand? And imagine that shawarma is at the other end of some barricaded wall with soldiers. You know, understand? And they're standing by it. And there's shawarma inside. And it was not an instruction to you. It was a sign. Our, our grand commander would want, and that has now become our life's mission, to get him what he wants. Even if it means we dying in pursuit of it. And they went over and they got it. And they came back with this, wall, I mean, this water. And David looked at it and said, because he didn't instruct them. So he couldn't collect it. He didn't instruct them to go and get it. But he knew what it took for those people to risk their lives. So he said, I can't take this one. This is meant only for God. Hmm. He was a man of honor. He knew how not to trample on other people's dignity. He knew how not to. Saul, on the other hand, literally made slaves of the people he led. Remember what Samuel said about the king that they will have. He will turn all their girls to cooks and confectionaries. People that will come and massage in mesuses. All right? That was what he was going to turn all their girls into and their men to men of war and servants and drivers and soldiers. So that his influence will continue to increase. The capital of leadership is not money. The capital of leadership is honor. When a man has honor, he will be followed. The challenge is that you perhaps may not have been exemplifying and expressing a lot of honor. That is why sometimes there is some measure of weakness in the following that you observe in the people around you. When you have honor, you don't have to observe and micromanage. Your words will be sufficient. Are you hearing what I'm saying? This is the capital of leadership. And I'm telling you this by the truth of God's word and by the integrity of the spirit of God. This is how God teaches people leadership. It's sad that we've learned leadership a lot from secular 
areas and arenas. And so there is still some kink in our philosophy and ideology about leadership. There's no better place to learn about leadership except from God's word. And we see it in the life and ministry of David that this was the very thing that made him so attractive. So attractive. This man, people just wanted to follow him. He had not asked for them to come, but they were saying, we will come and we will follow you. It was the honor he demonstrated. It's difficult to be a man of honor. It's difficult. <laughs> Amen. And that's what God wants to turn every one of us here, under the sound of my voice, into honorable people. It's sad that in our own climes, we have reserved the most lofty and honorable names for the least deserving. That it is those that we know were given resources at the highest level of governmental provision. All right? To attend to the needs of the constituency they represent. Who we see fail. We know they didn't do the drainage. We know they didn't have the roads. Yet, they are the ones we call honorable, sir. And so, in our minds, honorable does not mean anything anymore. Because it only remind, reminds you of the most dishonorable people around you. Who have a responsibility for leadership and the burden for service, yet fail woefully at it. And so, when you hear the word honorable, it no longer means the real meaning of honorable. But what God wants to turn us into are honorable people. And a lot of times, especially in the context of the church, we hear honor only in one direction. This is the man of God. Honor him. This is the man of authority. Honor him. This is the woman of authority. Honor her. When you honor her, you get the blessing. And that's fantastic. That is sound. That is consistent. But you see, that is actually secondary to this primary type of honor. What God, what God wants us to focus on is how to become honorable. Not so much of how to demand honor when we are now in positions of honor. It is how to be an, an honorable person. David himself, understanding this in Psalm 12, he said, help, oh God. He says, the godly man ceaseth. He said, the faithful man upon the face of the earth, they have ceased. They don't exist anymore. This was in the time of David. Imagine how much reduction has happened since then. That in the time of David, David could not find too many honorable men around. Men that will tell a woman, I'm your boyfriend, I will not touch you till we get married. And we'll stick by it. I know it's the Holy Ghost, but the Holy Ghost only supplies power in the direction of sincerity. If you are not sincere in your heart, you don't intend to protect that vow you made to that woman. The Holy Spirit and all his hosts will not help you to not fornicate. You will. The Holy Spirit only supplies power in the direction of sincerity. If you intend to sleep with that girl, you will sleep with her. David said in Psalms 12, help, O God. Godly men have ceased. Faithful people have... Bura, they have, they have left the chat room. Wow. In the time of David, what is happening now? <laughs> Can you imagine what could be happening now if David said that as that back then? So there are a lot of questions we're asking ourselves today. A lot of questions. <laughs> Just introspective questions. How can I become a more honorable person? Forget about anybody that is honoring me. You see, because Saul's preoccupation was, you didn't honor me. You, you didn't honor me. Why didn't you bow very well? Why didn't you prostrate? Why didn't you kneel? He was always witch hunting those that were not honoring him enough. David was just busy being honorable. And he got all the honor he needed. He was just busy being honorable. David, Saul was not an honorable man, yet he was witch hunting for those who were not honoring him enough. 
people respond to the honor that you are, then they will honor you. So the primary concern of honor is how to become a person of honor. It's not how to jostle and lobby and legislate people to honor you. You can't legislate people's honor. It, is, it has to be freely given. You can't come and be commanding honor. You can command compliance, but not honor. Honor is of the heart. It's like submission. It is of the heart. If I don't honor you, I don't honor you. Sorry, sir. I don't think you have deserved it. Because my heart has not yielded itself in your direction. It has not perceived enough quality of honor to be yielded in your direction. But I can comply if you're my boss. I can comply if you're my president. I can comply because you are supposed to ensure compliance with your brute force. So it's fine. But my heart is not yielded. And this is why God will not insist on some things. He wants you to yield your honor to him. He is a man of honor. That is why he won't force you to. That is why people don't <laughs> fall down dead when they say some things and curse God. All right? That's why, because if he forces you to do anything for him, he is no longer a person of honor. You've got to yield yourself to him. That is what honors him. It doesn't honor him that he told you to do something and you're doing it simply because he said so. You must honor him. You must submit. You must hallow him. You must ascribe sacredness to him. You must perceive him as worthy of honor and worthy of your submission. That's the kind of honor that pleases him. Not the one that he commanded and, com and you have to comply because he's the, he's the rock of ages and he's the ancient of days. Remember what the Bible talks about how that whoever runs into him is broken into, or is broken into pieces. If he runs into you, you are crushed into powder. So it's because of that fear you, you just do it. There is a place for that. But it must come as a perception of reverence. Not something that is forced upon you because even demons fear and tremble. But what makes you different from demons is that you yielded your own service. You yielded your submission. You chose to honor him. Are you still with me this morning? So, one of the first things we'll learn today is the fact that honor is tested when loyalty is required beyond possessions. You can write that down. Honor is tested when loyalty is required beyond possessions. Until you are able to separate yourself from the possessions that you think you have that could attract people, you are not really certain if people honor you for who you are or for what you represent to them. And if it is for what you represent to them, you're only a tool in their arsenal. You're not an ally, you're not a friend, you're just a tool. The moment you lose that which made you attractive, you also lose your essence and your loyalty. And so honor is tested when loyalty is required without possessions. David did not have possessions to give his men. He didn't have money to give his men. Yet his men continued to increase. What were they finding? What did they find in David? A man of honor that was scarce. We've not seen this kind of man before. This man is different. This man is serving us just for God's sake because he loves us. Not because he has any hidden agenda, ulterior motive. He's just a man of honor. This is too attractive to not hang around. I want to be like this man. Who will make people live their livelihoods like Peter, living his entire life? He had a mother, he had a mother-in-law, he had a wife, he had children. He was the most advanced of all the disciples and he left it all to follow Jesus, especially after his biggest break. So you have not made millions in years of your fishing pro uh, profession. And now you have made all the money you need for a lifetime in one catch. Yet you forsook all to follow him. What, what, what must have conditioned your decision? That is, you put that biggest break on the scale. You put Jesus on the same scale. And I, Jesus outweighed, far outweighed that other thing that you called 
the big break. He, he saw the man, Jesus. He said, this man is a man of honor. This is a man of honor. Jesus did not promise them houses. He didn't promise them. Did he promise them that? There was something they saw in him. This man is different. And that was a testimony of everybody that listened to him. They just felt this guy was speaking at a level that was higher than the Pharisees and the Sadducees. Because we know the Pharisees are only coming for what they can get. Once it's time for tithe, you will hear their voice. They tithe um, earnings and comings and every single thing you possess, they will tithe it. But if you find someone who is in need on Sabbath day and you do a mistake to help the person, you say, you have, you, have, you have done wrong. You, you, you are supposed to be judged. The weightier matters of mercy, judgment, and truth, they, they, they forsook all of that. And they began to focus so much more on the peripherals. Leadership is about honor. When you are a person of honor, you have the capital to sustain any influence. But becoming that man of honor is, is the big deal, isn't it? That's the big deal. Because if it were so easy, everybody would be a person of honor. There will be a lot of honorable people around. Hallelujah. So we see by 1 Samuel 27, the 400 men had grown to 600. There's something more attractive than just money that you can offer. There's something that keeps men around a man. That's honor. So that's the first thing we, we just talked about. The next thing we see, we are still doing some sort of an expository narrative around 1 Samuel, the life and ministry of David and Saul, juxtaposing it with Saul and figuring out what God might want to share with us. 1 Samuel 17, David goes to Achish and lives in Gath until he's no longer comfortable and he asks to go to the suburbs. And this is something to talk about. So in 1 Samuel 27, David is homeless. So he goes to Achish, maybe some acquaintance he had made from many of his <laughs> escapades. <laughs> and so... Achish is not a king. Achish is the son of the king of Gath. Moach or Moach. All right. That's the king of Gath. And Gath is in Philistine. All right. And so he goes to the land of the Philistines and then he asks Achish to squat him. <laughs> and then, of course, this is King David. Anointed King David since he was 17. Yet he's been living like a fugitive since then. Almost as though the anointing sent you on an errand. <laughs> How many of you remember this thing they used to do for us back then? Arodon. <laughs> Did you go and collect Arodon pings? <laughs> if you don't know Arodon, let me see. Let me know the generation you belong to. <laughs> ah, okay, that's fine. By their hands, you shall know those that belong to. <laughs> It'll tell you to go and collect Arodon. And everybody in the neighborhood understands what Arodon means. So the, the older people understand the Arodon. So once you send a child to go ask another person for Arodon, the older person gets the gist and he says, oh, ah, so sorry. I gave it to Fumi the last time. So can you go to Fumi's house? And then she goes to Fumi and Fumi hears Arodon and she's like, oh, wow. Ah, sorry. Uh, Caleb is the last person that is with Arodon. And you can go on that journey for the next God knows how many years. <laughs> you, they do it for stubborn children that they want to get rid of. <laughs> if you have been too troublesome in the house, they say, you know what? It's time for Arodon. Come and, come and collect Arodon. <laughs> So this was the life and ministry of David. So he gets to Achish, and he asks Achish to accommodate him. Achish says, okay, that's fine, no problem. So he begins to live with Achish in one of the palatial towns and suburbs in Gath. I mean, Achish is a prince. And remember, he came with 600 men. Ah! <laughs> that's some heavy-duty squatting system and methodology. Like, how did he... But the 600 people came and Achish, a Philistine, 
Very accommodating guy. Hospitable. So he accommodates David. Then after a season, David said, I can't continue like this. You have been so good to me, but I shouldn't take this goodness for granted. Hmm. How do you behave when self-respect is discretionary? How do you behave when self-respect is discretionary? When you don't have to wait till the person that is squatting you tells you, oh, God, you eat my food, you live in my house, you don't pay rent, you don't buy anything, everything I give to you. And you are waiting for me to tell you it's time to go. Why? David was a man of honor. He knew. You see, there is just a time clock in the, man, in the heart of every man. You know when you have already started overstaying your welcome. Don't put pressure on the person that is accommodating you to be the one to verbalize it. David looks at Achish and said, it's time for me to go. I can't continue to stay with you. I can't be enjoying the privilege of a prince when I know I'm not. You see, my reality will not force me to think creatively and productively. I need to be pushed to the terrains of the suburbs where I can put pressure on my productivity so that my reality will continue to mirror my real state. I know I don't have, and I need to get that sense from my environment. You can't be housing me and shielding me from the realities of economic pressure, and then you think uh, uh, that is what is helping my life. I will just leave your, your house five years later, and I will be a victim the first day I leave your house because I've never been trained to produce enough to sustain myself and my company. And so he said, send me to the suburbs. Send me to the, to the underdeveloped sides of Gath. Places that people don't dwell. That was what produced Ziklag. So David asked to be sent to the suburban areas. How do you behave when someone takes you to a restaurant? Shebi, <laughs> you have money now. You have money. Shebi, it's buffet, Abi. It's buffet. And then you, you will ruin the person's pocket. Simply because you are not the one paying for it. That's not honorable. How do you behave when self-respect is discretionary? When nobody's commanding you to respect yourself. But you say, ah, I have too much honor to abuse myself. And just be taking and collecting privilege. I'm not contributing, but I'm just collecting, I'm collecting. And I'm just waiting for somebody to tell me, you have overstayed your welcome. And then after that, I will now still feel offended. That is... When entitlement has grown in stature, that's what, it produces, that's what it produces. You are supposed to respect yourself and know when you have overstayed your welcome and know when you're not contributing enough to warrant the level of privilege. You should know. Nobody should tell you that. Everyone has a rod in their spirit. They should know. It's okay if somebody squats you for a season, but I hope you have a sense of credit. That the moment you have your first break, you don't touch it. You go and settle everybody that ever helped you. That is the mindset of an honorable man. This is what we see in the life and ministry of David. He goes to Gath. He could have stayed and lived large in Gath for the rest of his life. But would he have fulfilled purpose? So you think it is life to be funded, live a soft life. That is what you call life. Somebody is funding your life and your lifestyle. Funding your hair, your wig. It's funding it. Amen. Are there? <laughs> Amen. <laughs> Praise God. Funding it. And you take pride. And the moment it begins to show a bit of inconvenience, you are offended. 
Abba. That's wickedness now. 600 people came with you. He said, no problem. If you stayed with him. First year, Bible said he actually stayed in the garrison of Philistine one year, four months. I don't know how long he spent with Achish. So he didn't spend the entire one year, four months with Achish. He said he spent one year, four months in the garrison of the Philistines. Most of that was in Ziklag. Okay? So he may have spent maybe three months. And after a while, he started feeling uncomfortable. That is honor. Responding there. I know this is a cool place, solid. I just watch Netflix all day and chill. And it's just more from one pizza to the other, from one delivery dispatch rider. They're just dropping it left, right, and say, I'm like, ah, ah, send me to the suburban areas. That is what honor will do. Send me to the trenches. Thank you. Thank you. See, I'm telling you, this is how to be a man of honor. Your parents have all the money in the world. But you get to a point in your life, you're like, no, man. No, sir. Enough for a season, please. If I don't put pressure of productivity on myself, I just may never become productive. I just may never become productive. So if I don't become productive, will I have a father that can take care of me the way you have taken care of me? Will I become the father to my children that way? If you behave like me, will I be in your house today? And that's how you think posterity. If you are going to be a man of honor, you've got to think posterity. If everybody's behaving like, if you scale your behavior across the globe, what will the world look, look like? Scale it. Everybody just takes and takes. And that's what is affecting Nigeria till today. There is a mindset of a national cake and everybody only goes there to collect. Nobody bakes anymore. You go there and there's a national cake. They've been cutting it since. And the tiny little crumb that is left, they grab it. Nobody's asking. What will the next generation survive on? Nobody. Or no, has left. Everybody just comes, collect, 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 until somebody sends them packing. Haba. Don't you have itiju? There is no English for it. Self shame. Shame that you create for yourself just so that you would always think honor. Where you know that, mm -mm, mm -mm. let me preserve my own self-dignity. If I'm going to eat bread and steal for the rest of my days, it's okay than dainties in the house of wickedness. Let me take the gari and kuli kuli. Let me take it well. It just makes the story sweet. (laughs) What did you say again? Eh? Groceries. (laughs) I don't know if that's a trending word now. Floating berries. Oh, that's the kulikuli there. So when they ask you, what did you have this morning? <laughs> Cassava flakes and floating berries. Mm. Honor. Honor. David was a man of honor. Kai. See, David is a syllabus. We've not even started. David. How can you enter a king's house? You stay long enough and you're like, it's enough. How many of us do that? Don't we want the prosperity and the, post- and the enjoyment to continue? Is that not what we will typically do? But a man of honor says, no. What have I contributed since I came here? Nothing. I can't continue to eat and eat and collect without giving back. Send me to the suburban areas, places that have not been developed. Let me know the real weight of my productivity. When I get to that place, five years later, you see what I've produced. Then I know. I get a sense of fulfillment from what I've been able to contribute and add to the Philistines. 
Not that you just accommodate me and my 400, 600 men. If that was how they were living, they would never have become mighty men. None of them would have become mighty men. None of them. What made your parents what they were to fund the life that you lived? If you do not disconnect from the lajis that their provisions have afforded you, you may be a far cry from what they became. This is, why gener uh, this is why wealth in Africa and many other parts of the world is hardly transgenerational. Because we transfer the money, but we don't transfer the culture that made it. We don't transfer the culture. The culture of productivity, hard work, labor. Labor. There is no exchange for labor. And labor is not the absence of grace, sir. It's actually a proof of grace. Because where we know most about grace is where labor is most expended. First Corinthians 15.10. It is not me, it's the grace of God. But how did you know it was the grace? I labored. It's labor that, pro that proves grace. It does not invalidate it. So you know you have grace by how much work you do. Yet, we are the ones that will come and accuse all our bosses and call them horrible. Because they are making us do a little bit more. They are expanding your capacity. Yet, you say, they are about to break me. I am about to die. Depression. What have you done? Do you know what it means to be the, the biggest carrier of the risk of the organization that is paying your bills? These are the entrepreneurs you come and call out on Twitter. Yes, they are not perfect, but they carry the weight of the burden. If anything happens to that company, you go and get another job. They are there, bankrupt. So if, it, if, if they are passionate about your lack of work ethic, it is because it, they are feeling the pinch the most direct way. We need to be a responsible generation. We need to be a responsible generation. Help, oh God! Godly men have ceased. Faithful men have disappeared. They have left the chat room. So how do you behave when self-respect is discretionary? When you don't have to say it enough. But you realize that the person that took you to the restaurant took just a little bit. And you are using him as a gauge. To know what you would also order. Not that before he even attempted to serve himself, you have filled your plate, carried extras, because you came with a nylon. And, and before you came to the restaurant, you asked, Can I bring my friend? Are you okay? <laughs> Is it your friend I want to go and date? Well, what's, your, what's all this? You, if you are going to a restaurant by yourself, will you say, Can, you, can I bring my friend? What, what? So I, I must now service the gluttony of your friends because I only want to date you alone and the dating, the purpose of the date I can't speak, I can't, I can't talk because there are five people looking at me and eating eating and chewing mouth and I can't even talk to you that I came to ask out I can't even talk to you again you ask, can I bring five? I'm not going again it was, I'm not, because why? <laughs> I'm telling you, this thing is so ingrained in the culture. A wolf, eh? A wolf, Abby? I'm coming. <laughs> They're going to pack everything. The sense of contribution is no longer there. How did it get there? We don't know. What's the incentive? What's the motive of the person that brought this? A wolf? We don't know. What's that thing they hoarded during COVID? Palliatives. <laughs> Palliatives, Abby? We are coming. Honor is tested when self-respect becomes discretionary. Bible says when you come before a king, put a knife to your throat. You will see a lot of things on his table. But it's okay to say, it's fine, I'm, I'm fine for now. It's okay. Give me water. 
And as you are taking the water, long throat is doing you. But self-respect will not allow gluttony to escape. It's keeping it under. Self-respect. You like everything on this table. But put a knife. That's how honor behaves. Amen. First Samuel 20. Sorry, First Samuel 30. David is in Ziklag. <laughs> and then he's own allies and brothers want to stone him for something that he's totally irresponsible for. He's not responsible for this occurrence. He's also a victim. His wives were also taken. Why do you just think he's the one responsible for your calamity now? Honor is tested in offense. Honor is tested in offense. When people offend you, how, how do you, do you take it against them? Or you are free, you, you, are, you are easy to entreat. Remember we talked about wisdom several installments ago. Wisdom is easy to be entreated. And we saw it how Abigail came. And it was just a conversation and he was already entreated. He was really upset. He had made a vow that nobody will survive that onslaught in the house of Nabal. Yet, somebody came and appealed to him, and he was fine. Some of us cannot be entreated. Nothing in this life can make us calm down. Nothing. Your pastor cannot call you. In fact, that's the time you will turn off your phone because you don't want to be called. You will break things. You will slap people. You will fight. Why? Because you are not easy to be entreated. Someone offends you, and you must do your own back. It's a lack of honor that makes people behave like that. Honorable people don't... They understand, you see, they put themselves on higher standards than other people. It's okay if you offend me, but I will not offend you. It's okay. It's that level of standard that I forgive you, I let you go, it's fine. Because if everybody is retributing, that's what has brought us here till today. I, I read, I, I was listening to some podcast about the civil war, and I tell you the truth, it is the seeds that were produced at that level in the 1950s, 1940s, that is still creating the dysfunction we find in our world till today, the civil war. Go and listen to those podcasts. Go and read up on the civil war. You realize that what we are experiencing today was a function of a misunderstanding between two tribes that continue to be passed as folk tales to their generations. And we that we didn't understand the full context from the beginning, we are taking up a fight that we never understood. And right now, even in 2021, we are saying, okay, or 2023, we are saying this one is Igbo, this one is Yoruba, because we didn't understand history. Because somebody sleeps with your, your, your sister, you kill the entire family. That's the spirit of Levi and Simeon. Vengeance that man orchestrates. You've got to be a person of honor. Because how long do you need this to continue for you to come down and say, you know what, let's make peace. How long do you want the bloodshed to continue for? Because it's, you see, the, 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 the more it lasts, the less likely it will to stop. The less likely it will stop because... You have continued to extend the, the shedding of the blood to a point of misunderstanding, to a point where you don't even understand the real cause. And you're not even capable of actually making the peace anymore because there's no perspective anymore. You just know that there's anger in your blood lineage. You're just anger. There's animosity. There's enmity. But you don't understand why. Because you've lost perspective. But you're still angry. Offense. Let it go. Immediately. What are you doing with offense? What are you doing with it? What, is, what are you doing with offense in your heart? Somebody offended you. Let it go. That's the honorable thing to do. You know the reason? Because you are also forgiven. That's why. Don't
don't be a hypocrite. You were forgiving. Worse. Let it go. And don't take it on their charge. Don't make it, don't make it their fault. They were going through crisis too. Be the leader in that situation. Tell yourself if you were in their shoes, you probably do worse. And be grown up, mature. Stand up right and say, it's fine. I would encourage myself in the Lord if there's nobody else to encourage me. And go and fight for their wives and their children. And never bring it up again. That's what David did. How do you behave in offense? Honor is tested in offense. Number four. Honor is tested in abundance. So they go to Ziklag. They bring all the things that they had lost. Because Ziklag was a decoy. <laughs> God wanted to prosper them. This was the first big break of David. David had never been rich until this moment. This was the first big break of David. Remember, just some chapters before, he was begging for bread from Nabal. It was Abigail's small provisions that were sustaining them. Because Abigail came with provisions and food and flour and bread and all that. And so that's what was probably sustaining them up until this point. So somebody, hey. I hear in my spirit that the offense is a strategy. If you will be offended, you will not receive the spoils. You will not. You didn't have the spoils before you were offended. Hmm. The purpose of the offense is the spoils. If you will mature and grow up in that offense, you will get the spoils. The spoils put you in a far better balance sheet than what you were before. Your assets increase. Your inc you increase post that offense. If you will not be offended. That is, there is always something to gain more than what you had before the offense. Now, a lot of us are offended because you would have wished you were not offended. Because you felt you were in a better position when you were not offended. But I tell the truth, every offense is a decoy. It's a strategy to promote you. If you will be offended, you will not get the spoils. Because guess what? Ziklag, he goes to Ziklag, he collects his wives and children, but guess what was left? The spoils. There was no spoils if Ziklag was not raided. But then, the things they collected, they retrieved it. Then they now had the things that the spoilers had. All, all the gold and all the things they had raided from other nations, they left it there. Of course, David killed them from high. Killed them overnight. Dusk to dawn. Nobody was left. Then there were now spoils. Mm. Spoils everywhere. Then they gathered all of that, took it back to Ziklag. And this was his first big break. What should David do? He should take a Cadillac and drive to the compound of Nabal, isn't it? The other day I came to ask you for stuff. Pim, pim, pim. You. You. But that's, that's not the spirit of honor. So what does David do? David does not touch a thing in the spoils. He didn't use one for himself. He didn't buy, he didn't buy a pencil. He didn't buy for himself. You know what he does? He carries all that money. He carries all the spoils. He begins to distribute it to all the places that he had ever been helped. 13 locations. 13. You can go and read it. 13 locations. And Bible says, and all the other places where he roamed. So he was not only 13. Because there are some names that we know in that. Because we know he roamed in Abdullah. He, re, he roamed in Zif. He roamed in... No, those places were not there. Several places that he roamed. Where have you roamed? And left and never looked back. You roamed in a place. Somebody squatted you for two months. And it was because of those two months you were able to gain internship in a place that I've gotten you the job you have today. So if you didn't have that accommodation, you couldn't have received internship. But you, you just say, ah, two months, what was two months? Ah, maybe, maybe I would have survived. 
but you didn't survive without those two months that he helped you with. How about you carry some part of the money that God has blessed you with and give back? How about that? Some people, when you call, you, you, some of us are here. You, you will not raise your hand. It's okay. But when you carry your phone and you call some people in your lives, the only thing that comes to their mind when you call them is that you're about to ask for money. They know you. You know them. <laughs> they, you know it. You know. So as they see your phone, they won't pick it. They'll just send a chat. Send your account number. It's a transaction. Ah, thank you, Egbo, Egbo. Ah, thank you. When God blesses you, some of us are, <laughs> some last ones are laughing a lot because <laughs> they know what they do. <laughs> and it's okay. David roamed too. You, you, nobody rises unassisted. Men will help you. Along your trail in destiny, littered will be helpers. Helping you to support you here, pay for your admission somewhere, Squat you for some season. Print a copy of something for you that helped you. Copy a note for you. There are several helpers along your path. Anybody that says he's self-made is a delusional person. Very delusional. Are you kidding me? Self-what? Too many people helped you. This was a David that was as independent as independence could, could get. This is David. Oh. He kills lions for fun. David. Yet, he recognized that if not for some people... I won't be where I am today. So his first big break, he sent parchment. Ah, all his men became logistic riders. And he said, pam, 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 dispatch. He said to friends and to elders, Kai, to friends and to elders, he sent it to them, all of them. Dispatched it. 13 locations and all other places. So we couldn't capture everything. Not a single thing remained with David. Wow. How you consolidate your prosperity on your new level is by sending things backwards. Send them backwards. You know what he has done? He will never roam again in his life. That's what he has done. He will never roam again. Because why would he give everything he has? Because <laughs> you know this is the least he would ever be. He gave everything he had. Everything. This is the least I would ever be. From here, forward, ever. I can never go back. How he consolidated that stature was by sending things backwards. Some of you, your parents have helped you and helped you and helped you. You start making some quick, small box and 5K, you don't send. He says, maybe they have money. Ah. Didn't the friends and elders have money? That was how they were able to help him now. Because they had money. Achish, I'm sure he must have sent to Achish. Achish was the prince. He had money. But everywhere he had roamed, he sent gifts. Gifts don't reflect your perception of the poverty of the person you are sending it to. It reflects your honor. That's what it reflects. Are you a person of honor or not? Simple. You, do you give to God because God is, is poor? You give to God to reflect the honor you have of him. And you give to the extent of your perception of his honor. If you think he's worthy of this kind of gift, you give it to him. Not because he's broke. Not because God needs your money. But because you have perceived him as honorable, deserving of all the substance you can offer, then you give of your substance and you give it to God. It reflects your honor. So, if you rumple that 10 naira note and you drop it inside the offering basket, it is your honor. I won't feel disrespected. If you carry one small gift and you send it to your pastor, I don't have a business feeling disrespected. It is your honor that I'm seeing. 
I won't feel bad because somebody else will see the same me and give me something bigger. So why should I be feeling bad and good because of the size and the weight of a particular gift? That's the same way God feels. He's not feeling disrespected if you give him small things. He just believes, don't you have much more than this to give? Are you not honorable enough to just give of your substance at the level of your capacity? And you won't find one rumpled 50 bucks. And when you even give it, you don't give it with honor. Package it. There were packages. It was packaged. So all these things that all these guys are doing, Glover and Co., David started it. <laughs> Child deck, all those. They, he packaged it. Did proper packaging. Sent it on logistics. Ah, David. And as they received the gift, they will just remember all the memories of David and then they will bless him again. Kai. All the things that... Do you know that Achish at some point looked at David and said, you are like an angel to me. Achish, a Philistine, looked at David and said, you have not taken a foot wrong since you entered into my house. One year, four months, no single mistake from David to Achish. This was a Philistine. These were the arch enemies of God. And he made a friend of an enemy because he was a man of honor. Hi. Can we pray in tongues for 30 seconds? This thing I'm saying is a spirit. You can't just be a person of honor because, oh, you like to be honorable. No. A spirit has to help you. That God help me, Lord. Oh, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Are we still praying? Ah! Oh, thank you, Jesus. In Jesus' name we have prayed. This is David. This is what attracted all those 600 men to him. Why would you follow a man like that and stop at some point? Why? Too much honor in this man. Too much. We don't follow you because you commanded us. We want to. We give you our lives. You are worthy of it. And when they give him that glory and that honor, he gives it back to God. And then God continues to glorify him. It's a cycle of glory. Then we get to 1 Samuel 31. And... This is what they call Barbambari. If you get that. <laughs> if you know what I mean. <laughs> Praise God. This is the grand expression of honor. All right? This, this, this is the crux of the matter. First Samuel 31 comes and the Philistines do their hobby. They fight and they wage war against Israel. I have not counted it, but the number of times the Philistines and Israel would have fought is too much. What is it? Any small thing, Philistines, Israel. Phil- ah, ah. And so they did according to their hobbies and they wanted to fight Israel again. And so what happened was at this time, of course, Ziklag was still within the realm of Gath. So Ziklag was connected to Achish, the prince of the king of Gath. And so Achish, being very close allies with David, he takes him and his men as part of his own battalion. So they are preparing for the war against Israel. And Achish is telling David, ah, you're coming with me for this war. He said, fine, no problem, sir. I fight for you till death. 
and it's, it's, it's boosting Achish morale. And then, of course, on the day of the battle, the lot of the Philistines, they arrayed themselves, all right, at a particular valley, and they are planning to, you know, create the strategy to defeat Israel. And then, of course, Achish comes with his own men, and at the rear of the line, we see David and his 600 men filing out with their tools and stuff. And a lot of the Philistines look at Achish and they're like, what's wrong with you? Is this not David, the servant to Saul? He will sell us out. What's your problem? What are you thinking? He should come and fight with us. Ah, so look at you. And then they chided him. So what's wrong? What's your problem? And Achish said, he's a great guy. He has never taken a foot wrong. That was when he was talking so loftily about David to them, telling them of his exploits as a good person, virtue. That this guy is a great guy. As a matter of fact, during those times, David had actually conquered a, a land of Judah for God. I'm telling you. I'm telling you. David fought Judah just to establish loyalty with Achish. So, <laughs> David is a dangerous guy. Yo. Don't try David. <laughs> so, Achish could swear that David is with him. He could swear. Then... Um, I think this may have happened before Ziklag or after. I'm not sure. There's a proper sequence. Then, <laughs> the Lord of the Philistines prevailed over Achish and tells him, this guy cannot go and battle with us. Sorry. We can't trust him. Who knows? He'll get to the battlefield. He'll be on our rank and fire and he'll be shooting. And then <laughs> the next moment, he's, he's with Saul and he's shooting us. And he knows all our strategies. He's going to share all our blueprints with them. I can't, we can't, it's too much risk, please. Even if he will fight with us, we will be too distracted thinking, what is he about to do? What's he about to do? Please, let's just be one-minded. And then they let David go. And David was disappointed. He said, ah, ah, do me. What he did not, I could have killed a lot. What he did not know, <laughs> you, you are really helping me. <laughs> People are supplying the. <laughs> All right. What he did not know was that God saved him from dishonor. I see, listen, you are, in un, you are in compromising situations because you are not a man of honor. You see, David, if he had gone for that battle, Jesus Christ, he would have been torn apart and he may never forgive himself. That is the battle that kills Saul and Jonathan. That battle. That is the battle that kills Saul and Jonathan. He would have found himself in that battle. Even if it was not his harrow that killed Saul or Jonathan, he would never have been not culpable. He would have always been culpable because he was in that battle against Israel that killed the king of Israel, Saul and his son, your beloved covenant friend. He would have been torn between not fighting against Israel and defending his loyalty with Achish. <sighs> that was an impossible situation to be in. God will protect the honor you are interested in keeping. See, if you want to keep a relationship honorable, God will ensure it does not fall your hand. I don't know if you understand what I'm saying. David did not know that that was the battle that was going to kill Saul and Jonathan. So he was eager to fight, not knowing what the collateral damage would be. He didn't know. And because God knew that, he raised up the voices of the lot of the Philistines to save and deliver him. In his mind, he was, he was casted aside. He was belittled. 
he was not trusted. If he had been offended by that, well, that's his cup of tea. But, and this is why you must understand how God navigates your life. If you're a person of honor, some types of contention will happen to save and preserve you. Because if, if you assail and you go in the direction you are planning to go, you will find yourself in an uncom- you will find yourself in a compromising situation that you can't choose A or B. You will be paralyzed. Because you, you won't be able to choose anything. He had already sworn by his life that he will fight for Achish. And then you get to the battlefield, and this is the battle. You see Jonathan on the other side. I have made a covenant of blood with your friend. And you see Saul, the anointed of God. And they say that is where the arrow should go. Shabi, you are the you are the servant. Target him, kill him now. Imagine the imagine imagine what that would look like. You can see it in a movie already. And he's about to fight, and tears are dropping on his because this is his friend Jonathan. And now he is now an ally to an enemy of Israel. So what did God do? God eliminated the possibility for that choice. He just said, Don't, you will not go for this battle. You will not soil your garment of honor. You will not soil it. Come out. Just come out. So he made a fight in Ziklag. That was what led to Ziklag, actually. So he created a scenario. Amalek came to Ziklag, collected their stuff, ran away with it. Then when David went to Ziklag, he saw that everything had been taken out. He now had a work to do. He now went to go and collect it. And then God gave him spoils and all that. While he was busy doing all of that, Saul and Jonathan were dying. He would have been on that battlefront. There are some battles you are fighting in preservation. God used that battle to to preserve you. Ziklag was preservation for David. Ziklag was preservation. So you find yourself in compromising situations too often. It's a sign that you have not been a man of honor over time. Only you are in four entanglements with four ladies. How? I don't know which one to choose. Is it this one? Oh, God, you have not been a man of honor. You have not been a man of honor. That's why. If you have been a man of honor, God, the ones you are not able to do, God will stand in between you and your dishonor. And he will say, you will not enter into this one. You will not enter into this dishonor. You will not enter. You say, I'm just being friends. And all of them, you have dated them with the same level of intensity. 11 p.m.-ish. That's when you talk. That's when you talk. Four ladies at the same time. You know, say, eh, it's complicated. That is the problem. You've not been a man of honor. That's why. You've not been a man of honor. Hey, this thing is tough, isn't it? But David helped him to maintain his garment of honor. Because by the time somebody came and said, Oh God, ah, good news, good news, good news. <laughs> Saul is dead. Yes, Saul is dead. Who else is dead? All his sons are dead, including Jonathan. Eh? What happened? How did you know? Ah, oh God, if you see what happened that day. Saul, as he was about to, in fact, I just collected the sword. I just killed him, collected the crown. I said, ah, my Oga must collect this crown. Uh, in his overzealousness, he jabbered. And then David looked at him and said, eh, you killed Saul. Oh, I see. Fall upon him. <laughs> Fall upon him. Your blood stays on your head. That's your business. You used your mouth to confess that you killed the Lord's anointed. He didn't touch Saul. <laughs> If you can just say the truth. He didn't touch Saul. Saul killed himself. Then his armor bearer observed it and killed himself as well. This guy actually did not see what happened. Maybe he did, but maybe he saw Saul dead. But he didn't see how it transpired. He now used culinary skills. <laughs> to embellish, to garnish it. 
So that the story will be sweet. He now told David, thinking David was going to be impressed. Fall upon you. Then David began to sing an ode unto Saul and unto Jonathan. If he had been in that battle, would he have been able to do all that? Would he have been able to exonerate himself and say, I was not there? Because the men of Israel would have seen him in the battlefront. David, what are you doing with Gath? What are you doing with the Philistines? Of course, they pushed him into fugitive. They, they pushed him into all of that. So he had to do what he had to do to survive. But it had gotten to that point. You are now killing us. You are going to kill Saul. You are going to kill Jonathan. That would have completely eliminated the possibility of him ever becoming king in Israel. That singular act. And God stood in between himself and his dishonor. Because he had a track record of honor. So, in the overall testimony of your life, you are not sufficient to preserve your own honor. God has to help you preserve your honor. But you must have had a track record of sincerity in your heart. That you are actually willing to honor men, honor God, honor the sacred things. Anything that has kadosh on it, you give it that sacredness. You give it that honor. The men of God, the church of the living God, the people of God, humanity, honor people. And when you do, ladies, honor them. Treat ladies as your sisters. That is how to be a man of honor. Not every lady warm. <laughs> Amen. It is well. Treat the women as sisters. That is, if your daughter were to be hugged by a boy that is not a husband. Amen. Honor. And every elder with respect, be a person of honor. I'm not asking you to honor anybody. Honor yourself. Respect yourself. Be honorable. Treat life with honor, dignity, respect, loyalty. Understand difference. God will preserve the integrity and the honor you are interested in keeping. So, the power of God is only supplied in the direction of sincerity. The power of God is only supplied in the direction of sincerity. If God sees that you are a dishonorable person, you will dishonor till he comes. His willingness to help you with grace will not help you because you are not interested in using that grace. If you see it, you want to be a dishonorable person. So, you will do what your heart wants to do. But if God sees that your heart is clean, genuine, you are an honorable person, he will save you from your lack of understanding. He will save you from your lack of foresight. He will save you from your lack of understanding of what might happen. And he will stand between you and your likelihood to dishonor. What? This is one of the biggest deliverances in the life of David. And it was the voice of a Philistine that helped David. The way the voice of was it Reuben helped Joseph. Sometimes it is just contention that God will use to, to just exonerate you. Some people just start fighting and then you will no longer be involved. Because someone fought and said, oh, what let him live here. Let him. And as you left, bomb happened. It will just be something. Something. This is why I was saying this morning, you better pray with your, your life. Because hey, you read Bible from now till tomorrow, it cannot suffice to preserve you in some affairs. It's prayer and supplication. 
building up yourselves on your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Ghost. Just stay prayed up. Because you don't know. You just don't know. You don't know. You don't know how it will come. You don't know how these issues will come. You know, there are some problems some people find themselves in. They don't know it happened. You know, Yorubas call it something, right? Akoba, Adaba, right? That is, you don't know how it happened. Somebody just did something that made you culpable. You are in a room and then you didn't realize that three of the people in that room were Yahoo boys. You never figured it out. You never knew. And then police comes in one day, out afternoon, you were eating your rice jejeli and they were with their laptops and you happened to be working on Bible study with your laptop too in the same room on the same day. How will you prove? No evidence. How will you prove that you are not a Yahoo boy? How? But if you stay prayed up, that moment, you just go and ease yourself. You just, something will happen. Someone will call you, you will just step out. And then the police will come. This is how you escape dangers. By praying. How will you know the police is about to come? How will you know all these things? Prayer will just orchestrate some things. Angels will just orchestrate some things. And until you leave, there will be a flat tire with the police vehicle. Until you leave that room, something will happen. He will position one nail there. This is how God, this is how he delivers his men. This is how he delivers you. But you have got to be a man of honor. You've got to be a man of honor. Don't, don't stay around anything that will smear on your Christian faith. That will smear on the gospel. Don't hang around Sodom. Apostle Selman said that a while ago. Talking about how that you don't live near Sodom. Because if you live near Sodom after a while, you'll be smacked up at the center of Sodom. So compromising situations that it can go here nor there, you, you, you hang around it. Before you know what's going on, you are the very center of it. You are the one legislating the conversation around corruption. Because you will not flee the appearance of evil. We realized that at some point, David lost some of this honor. That was what led to the indiscretion with Bathsheba. He had lost some bit of honor. God had used battles to preserve him. And the battles that he did not fight was the battle that led to the indiscretion with Bathsheba. If he had only gone to war, he escapes Bathsheba. Bathsheba baits. He did not see her because he was not in the house. He did not go for a particular battle. That was how he saw her. That was how the devil gained an inroad. And from there on, he fought in his house. Not battles of, of weapon. Bloody fights. His children were killing another. The, the bloodbath in his house. Because of one indiscretion. He lost a bit of honor. Ah, I have people that can fight my battles for me. Well done, Olubeja. You have people that can fight your battles for you. So you're just sending people out. And you're no longer fighting. Sometimes what kills people sometimes is the fact that they've, they have enough money to not do anything anymore. So there's nothing they are exercising their productivity with anymore. You had better not get to that point. Walk till he calls you homo. Walk. It preserves your health. Continue working. Do anything your hand finds to do. Do ministry. Teach. Whatever. Save. Till he calls you home. Don't get to a point where you now say, I will now recline. Put my leg on the sofa and, and, and let my soul enjoy itself in plenty. And then the Lord says, today. And that today sometimes can be sickness and disease. 
be a person of honor. It was a battle that David did not fight that led him into the indiscretion with Bathsheba. It was the battle that he fought that avoided him from going into that battle with the Philistines and Israel. And that battle could have destroyed his legacy for life. But God stepped in because he was a man of prayer and he was a man of honor. So if you are sincere enough, God will help you. He will. He will. He will. Because you can't always legislate all the realities of your life. You are working in an organization that will soon be examined by the EFCC. Then suddenly you are queried. Suddenly you are sacked. Then two months later, they were examined by EFCC. And you are working in the accounts department. This is how God, and in your mind, God, why did you, why me, why me? Then after you see the news, you say, Oluwa, thank you for it. The same you, perspective changes your, 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 your disposition to the things that God does in your life, isn't it? Perspective. Now you see the news, you are still not in a job, but you are grateful. It's better to be in the house jobless than to be in a prison. Oluwa, thank you. The same issue, the same thing. You, you don't have a job, but God rescued you. Hmm. King Saul is dead. Second Samuel 1. The King Saul is dead. Jonathan is dead. So number five, honor is tested in the judgment of your adversary. When the people you most want dead <laughs> are now dead, how do you respond? And should you even in the first place want them dead? <laughs> so when your adversaries are judged, how do you respond? Because when God deals with your adversary, he's looking at your reaction. Make no mistake to assume that he expects you to be triumphing and be rejoicing and throwing parties. He's looking at your reaction. Is your heart soiled with vengeance? Or you are still a man of honor? Because he wants to maintain the integrity of your own soul. He wants you to maintain that. He wants you to maintain that. He doesn't want you to become vindictive. He doesn't want that kind of attitude in your heart. He doesn't want it. So somebody offended you and now they are married. Rejoice. Get excited. Bless their heart. Send them an offering. Brother Hagin, all the articles that were written against him, and there were many of them. Many of them. Whenever he discovers it, maybe somebody comes to tell because he doesn't look out for them. But whenever somebody comes and says, did you see what this person wrote about you? Did you see what this person said about you? You know what he does? He will package an offering. He will look for their address and he will send them an offering. Cause a love gift. <laughs> That's how he quenches the embers of offense in his heart. As they are rising, he will just quench it. Send a love gift. Quenches with love. Honor is tested in the judgment of your adversary. Number six, honor is tested by how positional leadership is assumed. After 2 Samuel 1, I believe 2 Samuel 2, this is David in Hebron. He asks God, God, where should I go from here? After he sings the ode unto Saul and unto Jonathan, chapter 2, he begins to ask God, what, what do I do from here? God says, go to Hebron. He goes to Hebron. Then the men of Judah come to David in Hebron, and then they made him king. Honor is tested by how positional leadership is assumed. If you insist on being a positional leader, you are not a man of honor. Let the people choose you. Let the people. Now, this is political, electoral, and all that. Ministerial may not be that way, okay? God chooses his ministers for the people. But when it comes to positional leadership, class rep, class governor... President, governor, whatever it is, let the people 
do the choosing. Don't insist. Don't force your way into people. Don't. If they could elect God out of their leadership, they said, we don't want God again. Give us a king. And God said, no, Allah. Get your king. Do you understand? Like, even God was elected out. <laughs> he was king for the longest. Sending them judges and judges. And they said, we don't want judge again. We don't want you as our king. Give us a real king that we can touch. Somebody that will be riding on horse, that will go for battles for us, that is strong. Like all that nations. Give us. And that was how they elected God out of government. And God said, no, Allah. Take your soul. When your eyes see the shege, <laughs> you will come back. <laughs> Even God allowed election to happen. Honor is tested by how positional leadership is assumed. Number seven, honor is tested in how you handle the sacrifice and service of others for you. Remember what I said about King um, David and the three guys that went to get him waters from the wells of Bethlehem? He didn't take it for granted. He didn't say, yes, that's your job. And then begin to make boast of it that, ah, if you know what my guys do for me. They, they, they give me massage every morning. They send me this. I once saw an outlandish show of honor. It was, an, it was a show of honor, but for me, I wasn't comfortable with it. And I'm like, even if people are willing to do this for you, let by yourself say no. Because there are some things you will receive and you will begin to compare yourself with God. You don't even know you have started comparing yourself with God. Because some types of offering is meant for God alone. And you by yourself must create that dichotomy, that difference. That I am not God. When you do this kind of thing for me, I will not accept it. And David made it very clear that his three guys went, risked their lives, brought the water. The water is there. Now you have what you want. But the sacrifice that went into this is not worth my service. I won't drink of it. And he poured it out as a drink offering unto the Lord. That this is only deserving to God. Only God deserves this type of sacrifice. Is it, are you able to recognize when people are doing a bit too much that you should continue to receive it? And I'm speaking to literally every type of leader here. Especially the spiritual ones that we may feel like we are the ones to be saved. After all, we are the man of God. And you've got to deliberately work on it. Deliberately. So there's a service provider in your church. And so every time you need that service, you don't pay. Because, well, you are the man of God. Ask for the invoice. Ask and be sincere about willing to pay. Be sincere about it. These are things we all must learn. Be a person of honor. Be a person of honor. Yes, there will be a lot of things that will be done to honor you. And you should receive them in grace and humility. But when they begin to get to a certain threshold, you should know that this is a little too much for a man like me. When they try to honor the angels beyond measure, what did the angel tell them? No, 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 no. I'm a servant like you, please. In fact, you are higher in rank than me, sir. Why are you bowing to me? That's what they told John in Revelation. No, 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 no. Because they understood difference. So why would men now be receiving almost worship from other men and you think it's okay? No, it's not. There's a son in the faith who, and I'll use this example primarily because of this context. Just so that you can see that, see, like I've said or said before, for every message that comes out, there are years of practice that should back it up. Years. 
And God will, he will give you an opportunity to practice it so that when you are saying it, it will carry power. This is the demonstration of spirit and power that Paul was talking about in 1 Corinthians 3. When he said, oh, 1 Corinthians 2, that my preaching and my sermons were not with the enticing words of man's wisdom, but in the demonstration of spirit and of power. He was not talking about people falling under, falling under the anointing and breaking chairs and destroying church property. That was not the demonstration of spirit and power. No! It was not the fact that he was preaching and everybody was scattering because the power was so much. No! It was the capacity of what he was saying to change the lives of people. That is the demonstration of spirit and power. That is the, and what makes it so powerful is the fact that they have manifested truth before they said it. They have become emblems of the truth that they preach. And we should put ourselves under such positive pressure so that it will not be revealed on the last day. We should reveal it to ourselves. Because any gap that you don't see, it will be revealed on that day. So you close the gap here on earth. You're closing the gap. That Lord, search my heart. If there's any wickedness in me, lead me in the path everlasting. Help me to live honorably. Help me. Help my life. So this young man, he will come from wherever he lives, far from where I stay. And of course, in this economy, he spent almost 1,500 coming to wash my car. And he's been washing the car. He's been washing the car. I receive it as honorable. But at some point, I began to feel uncomfortable about it. And then I said, stop. Don't worry. Don't do it again. And he said, no, I need to. I said, don't. I don't want it. You will spend more than the amount it will cost me to wash the car. Beside my, there's a car wash. I can do it myself. It's not a problem. Do you know that if the Holy Spirit had told me to stop him from doing it and I continue to receive it, I'm already in idolatry. He's now worshiping me and no longer God. Even though he's worshiping God and honoring me, I'm receiving worship. That's what I'm doing. There are times the Holy Ghost will tell you in your heart that this thing you are continuing to receive is no longer right. It's not, it, has become, it has become poisoned. They will, they, will, they will hail you to the high heavens and you will collect it. Don't try it. Oh. Give all the glory back to him. Insist on not receiving some types of privileges so that it can be a reminder that you are still a mortal man. You are still a man under authority just as much as every other person. And you just do it because you are a man under authority. And I'm saying this thing so that it can put myself in check. I'm saying it here on the altar of God. So that I'm also under the check of the things that I'm saying. It's a dangerous thing to be a teacher of what you don't teach. Or what you don't live, rather. What you don't practice. And that's what the Bible says in James, that the teachers will be examined more. The scrutiny is higher. The judgment scale is bigger. It's higher for teachers and for pastors and for preachers. So you need to pray for us. <laughs> so that the things that we are saying will not stand against us in the day of judgment. Amen. How do you receive the sacrifice and service of others for you? Wow. Praise the name of the Lord. Amen. How many things have we shared? Hmm. David was the man of honor. And he wants you to be a man of honor as well. Ten questions you need to ask yourself. Litmus tests. I've told you seven ways that honor is tested. Ten things. Ten things. Ask yourself this question. Write them down. Am I a man of my words? Do I do the things that I say I will do? That is how to test whether you're a person of honor. And be sincere. Your insincerity does not help anybody. It just does not help you. That's all it does, which is a negative thing. So it does not help anybody for you to be insincere. Be very sincere with yourself. Are you a man of your words? Number two, do you undertake projects that are not about you? Do you listen to the WIIFM? <laughs> Is that the only radio station you are plugged into? 
You know what WIFM is? WeFM? What's in it for me? So they bring a project to you, and the only question in your mind is, what's the catch? What's in it for me? Didn't you hear that it was for some impoverished students in some school, some community college, that they've not had any teacher for the last six months, and we need you to use your math skills to teach them and train them for work? That is what is in it for the world. <laughs> there's nothing in it for you than for you to come and help and serve. So there's nothing... I have a 9 to 5. Oh, you have a 9 to 5. Okay. But if that same opportunity had something in it for you, your 9 to 5 suddenly becomes something we can walk around. <laughs> ah, we can walk around it. Don't worry, don't worry. You know how many interviews people have taken with 9 to 5? <laughs> 12 noon interview, they are there. 12 noon, smack dab at the center of the day. They are there. They know what to say. HR, HR man. I'm not, I don't know how I'm feeling this morning. 12 noon, they are there. Ready. Where, where do you work currently? Oh, well, I have a 9 to 5 currently. What are you, they, tell, they, they are working. 12 noon, they are there for the interview. But this is an opportunity to serve and be a blessing. Do I undertake projects that are not about me? Do I listen to WeFM? Me, myself, and I, that's WeFM. <laughs> it's only what benefits you you are so passionate about. So do I undertake projects that are not about me? Am I a man of my words? Those are the first two. Number three, how often do I give the excuse of convenience for not getting something done? I woke up late, I, whatever. How often do I give the excuse of convenience for not getting something done? Number three. Number four, do I rise to defend the weak and the vulnerable? People that cannot defend themselves, do I rise to defend them? That's how you measure your honor as a person. Do I rise to defend the weak and the vulnerable? Number five, do I do the right thing for no reason? Somebody is watching, somebody is not watching, somebody will reward it, somebody will not reward it. Am I like a Mordecai? I will preserve the life of the king. Whether or not he rewards me ever, I will preserve the life of the king. I cannot hear about this sabotage or this coup and keep quiet because there is something in it for me. God forbid, I will do the right thing for no reason. If God ever makes the king reward me, that's fine. That's God's call. My own call is to do the right thing. Do I do the right thing for no reason? Number six, are there people I am loyal and accountable to? Do you even understand what loyalty? Are there people in your life that you are loyal to? People you will never betray, no matter what they do to you. No matter what they do. You just will never betray them. You will never pay them in their own coins. You just will never. Because you are loyal to them. David was loyal to Saul, even in death. Loyal to his house, even in death. There was no incentive to be loyal. Like, there's nobody that will hold you. But he's still loyal because he's a man under authority. Accountable, loyal. Number seven, do I often feel entitled? Entitled, ah, they're supposed to do this for me. They're supposed to, they're supposed to. Shouldn't they see, didn't they see me? Can't they greet? Can't they? It's always about, can they do something for you? How about you do it too? Do it. Do you sometimes feel entitled? Number eight, can I be trusted with the life of another person? Can somebody's father trust me with their daughter? Amen. Or if they see you like this, they'll say, hey. Hey. <laughs> like, fear. Number nine, what reputation do I have? Reputation is important for the gospel. Bible says a pastor should have a good reputation outside of the church. <laughs> reputation is important. Now, should you be driven by what people say? You be an honorable person. The reputation will take care of itself. Just take a picture of the reputation. Don't try to work it out. Don't be a PR person trying to make a reputation a certain way. 
So you are doing makeup for your reputation. That's not the point. The point is, live an honorable life. There will be a reputation consistent with that honor. And what is that reputation? What are people saying about you? And number 10, do I commit to things for the long haul? Am I quick to throw in the tile? Questions. Questions. You can start by asking, how many relationships have I had in my life? You can start with such questions. How quickly do I leave a job? <laughs> you can start with such questions. Do I commit to things? What's the longest commitment I have? Even friends, at the first appearance of offense, do I leave them because they did something that offended me? How long do I commit to things? Do I commit to things for the long haul or I'm very quick to throw in the towel? I have a standard of people I can work with. But I don't realize that nobody really wants to work with me either. <laughs> there is a stench that I'm releasing that I am not realizing. Father, we give you praise. We give you honor. Lord, as we have examined ourselves against the backdrop of Scripture today, we ask that the Holy Spirit evaluates along with us and shows us the areas of our lives that need improvement so that we can be sound leaders, full of wisdom, behaving ourselves wisely like David did. In Jesus' precious name. Amen. I want to share an anecdote, some, some extra thought. Ladies are more predisposed to be attracted to charismatic people, guys. Guys are more predisposed to be attracted to beautiful ladies. So it's not unlikely to find a guy that may not be so attractive, but very charismatic with a very beautiful lady. This is my only explanation for Abigail ending up with Nabal. Abigail by herself was pretty, was wise. How did she marry a fool? How? How did Abigail? Abigail was so wise. Did you hear the things she told David? Abigail was such a wise woman. How did you marry a fool? The moment you realize as a woman that there is a tendency for you to be overcompensating for, or you use, you use charisma to overcompensate for character. That is, when somebody has a lot of charisma, and they don't have character, you don't see the lack of character. You are overcompensating with their charisma. The moment you realize that you are that type of person, it makes you less susceptible. So understand that you are wired like that, which is why they say the anointing attracts ladies and all that, because charisma attracts women. Beauty attracts men, which is why when Solomon's mom is tell, talking to him, he's saying beauty is vain, favor is deceitful, but a woman that fears the Lord shall be praised. So when it comes to women, you've got to be careful when someone has a lot of charisma, he can talk the world, check him out on these scales. Another question you should ask is, how do you treat people that are not connected to you? Your gatekeeper, your minders, what do you do with them? How do you treat them? These are the things that check your honor, all right? Ask those questions. Don't just be overly excited by the notes he sends to you at night, every night. The, the, the gift he sends, he's charismatic, he can, he, he can, he can talk, good. But be careful. Amen? Check out these things. Is he a person of honor? Is he a person of honor? All right. Let's give our offerings and our tithe. Wow. What a word. For more messages, connect with our tribesmen across all social media platforms at Park Point Tribe.